and uh, it's Family Portrait Day. And what a great opportunity. Just go to church, hang out with your family, get a free picture, get a little gift. And we just love you. We love, we, we love to take a day to honor the women. I know this about the kingdom of God, that great churches are built by great men and great women of faith who believe in a good God. Who believe, come on, say good God. Who have a good dad who gives them good gifts. God gives good gifts to us today. Thank you, moms, for being here. Hey, this morning, uh, it's really awesome what God's done in our church. Just this whole transition, the way God's working it out with Pastor Dan and moving him to men's ministry. He's going to be actually be our first official men's director here at City Church, and I'm just really honored to have that. You know, we're a church of generations, and, and we just see what God's doing in our midst. And God's first service is packed, second service, third service is going to be packed. And I just want you to know today that you're part of a place where it's healthy, it's safe. We love God. We love people. We're not perfect people. But we love God. We love people. And we're committed to generations. We had 52 young people about three weeks ago commit uh, in, a, in a program called Fine Arts. There were literally over 3,000 young people from the state of Florida that competed in this event uh, across the nation. There are almost 40,000 young people that compete. We had 3,000 out of the state of Florida that competed. And uh, of our 52, of our 52 kids, we have 15 different events that are going to go to the national competition, which this year is held in Orlando. And every week, amen, they are selling today empanadas on your way out and because they need to raise $15,000. And so uh, you just help support that ministry, help support that outreach. Awesome. Uh, but uh, every week we want to highlight one of the different events. And this morning, uh, one of the young women that's just, God's done an incredible work in her life. Her name is K- Tiffany Castro. She's going to share a five-minute short sermon with us today. Let's welcome Tiffany Castro. She comes to the City Church platform. All right. Morning. <laughs> All right. I just, I can't be up here without saying thank you to all the moms in this house. You guys, you keep our world spinning. Like, you really do. Like, in the morning, when I can't find my left shoe, mom's like, it's over there. Like, she, you guys know. Like, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much. And for all those spiritual moms here who pray for us, and you, I am not here. Like, I would not be here without your prayers. Thank you so much. Amen. Um, Emily. (laughs) All I can think about is Emily. See, before I was saved, Emily was my best friend. Everything I needed, she was there for. She has one of the most beautiful hearts I think I've ever known, and she's taught me more about encouragement than any of my Christian friends ever have. And um, when I would have a bad day or when things just weren't going my way, she would um, leave me notes and song lyrics and words of encouragement in all of my um, notebooks and all my binders and um, (laughs) everywhere for me to find and... When I got saved, we, we sort of drifted apart, and all I can think about is that Emily is exactly where I left her. <laughs> and I now know that all the song lyrics and all the bands in the world are not enough to heal. Remember what it was like for you before someone told you about the gospel. Before I was saved, I was just like Emily. Um, I thought the sad, the sorrow and the sadness could make me feel better, so I would listen to all these sad songs and all these music and all of uh, this, these songs of bands who I thought 
could make me feel better. Um, before I was saved, <laughs> I could not stop thinking, why am I here if what I do won't matter in five minutes? And then I heard it. <laughs> the story of Jesus Christ who came to the earth to live with us, amongst us, to love us and Come teach on. us and show us yeah. and heal us and restore us and Come transform on. us. The story of a God who came to the earth to die for me. He would be murdered for me, the worst of these, but who would rise again so that I might have victory and purpose in him. The story of a God who would rise again and who would sit at the right hand of the Father constantly interceding for me and, and praying for me and desiring to bless me. The story of that God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, we hear the words of Paul. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And looking at this verse, I stopped. My new life is worth nothing unless I tell others. Nothing like this, this whole thing, this whole awesome thing that I've just been given, this gift is worth nothing unless I tell someone about it. Then I took another look at a Bible verse that Sunday school teachers had taught me encapsulates the entire purpose of those gospels. For God so loved the world. John 3.16. He didn't just love me. He loved the world. God didn't just die so that we could now say with victory that we are in this world but not of it and forget all those that still are part of the world and ignore them every day. We are the salt of the earth, but the purpose of salt is to make them thirsty. We are the light of the world, but the purpose of light is to illuminate the darkness. I'm not the only person with an Emily, someone who breaks your heart to see left behind where you once were. There are 7 billion, 50 million, 400,000, 127 people in the world. 3.2 billion in America, 17 million in Florida, and in our city there are 54,000 in my school and a lot of my friends' schools, there are anywhere from 1,500 to 5,000 students. There are Jameses and Johns and Paulas and, and Sarahs and Emilys all waiting and all needing for someone to tell them the good news. How do you know what to do? Well, I can't give you five awesome action steps on how to get a heart for people immediately and then, ha, ah, you can take the whole world. I can't do that. But what I will tell you is that God will do most of his preparation for anything he has called us to do in the moments we get alone with him. When you pray for people, your heart changes, and as you do, you begin to hear the voice of God. When he calls you, you'll know simply because of the amount of time you spent listening to his voice. Uh, <laughs> your talents and giftings and things that you're passionate about were given to you as a means of completing the task Jesus has given to you. What is it? To love God and love people and to go as Matthew 18, or chapter 28, 18 through 19 says, and make disciples of all nations to tell them the good news. In John 6, 39, it says, and this is the will of God that he should not lose even one. One. But I don't think I'm ready as most of you are probably thinking it's a scary thing to abandon all or to give ourselves away or to choose that we don't want to gain the whole world. But get the word in you. It is your foundation and it will arm you as you go. I challenge you to flip the switch and get the mentality that Paul had in just one verse prior to that where he says, 
Although imprisonment and suffering lie ahead, I must go. Although none go with me, I still will press on. There is too much at stake. If I don't go, Emily will live with fresh scars in the looming darkness of her depression and the ferocity of her own self-hate. She will live in the songs of sadness that I used to sing. It may not be easy, but Paul faced imprisonment and death. He was murdered for his beliefs, as were 11 of the disciples, and even then, none of them went alone. Not one. Make your only aim to fight to the finish, for when he told you to go, he also promised that he would be with you to the end of the age. Testify the good news of God's grace, for if God is for you, who could possibly be against you? You have been saved by a God whose grace has immersed you in a freedom no one can describe, and it is for the freedom of your friends and your family and your co-workers that you have been set free and called, as it says in Galatians 5.1, it's for your Emilys. There is hope. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. Romans 10, 14 through 15. I dare you to be those feet, the ones that fight to the finish. Thank you. Amen. Come on. Great job. Wow. Wow. Tiffany, that was awesome. I dare you. Let's all go. That's good. That was was incredible. How do you follow that? That was very, very good. Thank you. Stand with me this morning. We're going to read our scripture. I'm going to talk to you about the portrait of a woman. Now, the story that I'm going to read to you this morning is one of the most unique stories in all the Bible. We know the Bible is true. One of the reasons, one of the proofs of the Bible's truthfulness and authenticity is that it just tells it like it is. Genesis chapter 16, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. I'm going to spend the next few moments talking about the portrait of a woman. Portrait of a woman. Genesis chapter 16, beginning with verse number 1. And the Bible says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. The name Hagar means stranger or one who flees. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Everyone say, that's a problem. Oh, that's a big problem. Abram agreed to what Sarai said, and so after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai took his wife, took her, took his wife to her Egyptian slave Hagar, and gave her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. Everyone said that's a bigger problem. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, "You are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering." I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between me and you. Your slave is in your hands. Abram said, do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. 
And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much, they will, they, they will be too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Ishmael, one who hears God. And for the Lord has heard of your misery. And he will be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. And she go, so she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why the well is called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Barid. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, I need your grace. Lord, we need a word from you today. Not a word from Eugene Smith, but a word from God. Lord, I pray for the mothers that are here today that your grace would sustain and strengthen them. But for every person in the room, give them an ear to hear. Lord, that we would leave this place changed, different than when we came, with another touch from heaven. And we will surely declare that God was in that place. And Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. My big idea, I want you to hear this. My big idea of this word is that God who sees and cares is able to take your messes and turn them into a message of his amazing grace. The God who sees. This story is one of the most unique stories in the, in the Bible because this woman does something very uncanny. This woman does something very, very uncanny. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, we see the, the beginning of this story when Abraham is actually called out of the land of Ur. Uh, in Jerusalem today, there are three pillars that represent Abram, or Abraham, the father of many nations. In Jerusalem, each one of these pillars represent one of the great monotheistic religions of the world, Judaism, Christianity, and the Muslim faith. All three of them have a pillar, and on the top of the pillar that represents Abraham's life is an olive tree. Fascinating. This man who is the greatest man of faith, he is the reason that we are here today, because he believed. He believed in a God that he could not see, and he was willing to obey. And God spoke something to him three times. Three times God told Abram that you would have a child. You would have a son. In Genesis 15, God actually does it like this. He says, Abram, I want you to come outside. I want you to look up into the sky. When you look up into the sky, I want you to see all the stars up there. I want you to try to count them. He says, as you're counting those stars, I want you to know that is how many descendants you will have. And your descendants will be a blessing to the nations. God made a promise. God made a promise to Abram that through his wife, Sarai, they would have a child. Now, Sarah, or Sarai at this point, Sarai is 75 years of age. And she has a husband that's 85 years of age. And what is about to take place, what she has heard from God, seems to be impossible. It's an impossible reality for her. I mean, 75-year-old women do not give birth to babies. Never have, 
never will. I think the oldest recorded woman that's given birth to a child is 56 years of age. And they, you know, they had to do all the modern miracle stuff that they do so that women can become impregnant at that age. It is not normal for a woman to get pregnant at 75. God speaks to Abram that he's going to have this child. But Sarah gets frustrated. She gets in a hurry. She gets in a hurry. And this is where we find our story today. We find this woman, Hagar, whose name literally means one who flees or one who runs or stranger. That's what her name means. Uh, This young girl, she's 25 years of age. She comes from Egypt. According to ancient customs, there were three statuses of people. There were the free people. There were the ones like Abraham and Sarah who had all rights and privileges. And then there was a caste of people below them. And then below them, there was another caste of people. Sarah, by being a slave, was in the lowest caste of that civilization in that generation. She was a slave girl. She had no rights. She was basically treated as property. It was common in this period for men to take a woman that wasn't his wife and impregnate her if his wife couldn't have a child. It was common. It was the custom of the day. It was a custom of the day. And although it was a custom of the day, it's never been a good idea for a man to have more than one woman in his life. And all the men said, Amen. This woman is literally an outsider. I mean, she has no rights. Life is basically against her. She's got great, great challenges that stare her in the face every day. She lives in a home with a woman who is basically her owner. Life's been challenging. She left Egypt as a toy. She left her family. She left everything she knew, and she had no choice in the matter. She had no choice about her position or status in life. This is just where she found herself. I want you to, as I begin to think about this story, begin to think about, as I begin to look at her life, I begin to realize there is an acknowledgement that there is a God who sees in most people. Most people in this room really believe that there's a God. I mean, you wouldn't be here on Sunday morning if you didn't believe in God. I mean, it's why we gather together and we worship. And I know people come in first service. Maybe there was a couple guys there that weren't quite sure. But for the most part, people that gather together on Sunday morning are believers in God. But it's not enough to believe in God. What it really requires is that we believe that there is a God who sees us. There's a God who really cares. Because, see, Hagar believed in a God who not only saw, but a God who cared about her. I think, you know, Mother's Day, my mother passed away when she was 52 years of age. She'd had cancer. She fought it for two years. She was a valiant woman of faith. And uh, I was, I'm the oldest of five children. I have four sisters. And my mother's life was never easy. My grandfather was an alcoholic. She left home at a very young age. Uh, She got saved at the age of 15. She was a Jewish girl. She never even heard Jesus' name in her family. She uh, ends up living in a pastor's home, and she gets married at the age of 19 to my dad. And they were young, and I come right away, and boom, you know how, I mean, just a young 22-year-old with three kids, it was not an easy life. Dad goes sideways, and... And I don't ever remember my family always being a lot of fun. As a matter of fact, I, I, re, I do tend to remember a lot of pain in my home. But one thing I just always remembered about my mom is that she just loved God and she loved people. 
And the reason that this church exists today is because my mom loved people so much that she would go out every single week and knock on doors and invite children and families to church. And she did this from the time I was a little tiny boy. I actually remember uh, the first, it was her car that would be full of kids. And then it was her truck that was full of kids. And then she went and begged the pastor to let him use the van because there were so many kids she couldn't put them in the back of the pickup truck. Can't even believe we used to do that. In the back, she had these little chairs in the back of her pickup truck that she put the kids in. And finally, the church consented. They were a little nervous about getting their nice church van dirty. But they did let my mom finally use the van. And then she filled the van up. And then she started to beg them to buy a bus. And they went and bought a bus. And for over 20 years, that church picked up children every Wednesday night and every Sunday morning because my mom loved people. Come on, give God a big hand. That's why City Church exists. That's just a fact. That's how it happened. My mom, life wasn't always easy. It definitely wasn't easy for my mom. And at the age of 42, contracting cancer and fighting that fight. But this is the last thing I remember about my mom. The last thing. The last time I saw my mom alive and conscious. She was going in that in and out state, you know, with a very final state. And I walked into the room, and my mom lifted her hands towards heaven. And she began, she just, she kind of woke up. She hadn't been able to talk for a couple days. She woke up, and she lifted her hands towards heaven, and she began to worship Jesus. And, I mean, she worshiped. It was the most beautiful song. She wasn't a singer, but she began to sing. She began to pray in the Spirit. And she lifted her hands towards the Lord and began to declare his goodness. And, I mean, we were weeping and bawling. That was the last thing I remember about my mom. She loved God passionately. She loved God, and she loved people. So there is a God who cares, but he's also a God who sees your life. And as I begin to think about Hagar's life, man, things were really against her. Maybe you're a single mom here today, and you feel like things have been against you. You've been dealt a bad hand. I mean, maybe things just haven't worked the way that you'd hoped. Maybe you're a mom that's here today, and you've been in a difficult marriage. And marriage hasn't been in. You're just barely hanging on. Maybe you're a mom here today, and really everything's okay right now. You've got a great husband and great kids. I want you to know that God sees and cares about you. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today, and your mom and your kids are not serving God. And there's a lot of pain in your family and a lot of pain in your life because of that. I've seen all of that. I know all that exists right here in this room right now. And I want you to know that as we look at the story of Hagar, we're looking at a woman. We're looking at a woman whose life encountered God and was drastically changed. This woman, this woman, along with Abram and Sarai, had to make choices. In your life, your choices may have unattended consequences. In your life, in my life, our choices may have unattended consequences. You know, you could, as a kid, I remember I would go out to the lake and, and I would throw rocks. You know, in the early in the morning, you'd throw rocks and you'd try to make them skip across the lake. And when it was really still, you know, and I, I would watch that rock skip across that lake and it would drop and sink. I wouldn't see the rock anymore, but I would see the effect, the ripple effect. And that's what happens in our life. There are choices that we make that have ripple effect, that have many times unattended consequences. And in the first couple of verses, we see Sarai. She's just frustrated. She's 75, can't have a child. So she gives this woman, Hagar, to her husband. Oh. I mean, it's just broken. I mean, that's broken. That's painful. I know it was customary and it was culturally okay, but it's never been okay. I mean, every man knows that it's not okay. And listen, this, this poor girl, you think she's like, she's like 25 
and Sarah's saying, I want you to go have sex with my 85-year-old husband. And she's like, oh, my goodness. you got to be kidding me. Listen, listen. There's no 25-year-old girl that wants to have sex with an 85-year-old man. Never been that way. Never will be. Never will be that way. And that's exactly what it was like for this girl. She had no choice of the matter. And Sarai was frustrated because there was a delay in her life. God said, I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to give you a child. Abram, trust me. But Sarah just, hey, God, you know, that promise that we've been waiting here for like 15 years and nothing's taking place. So she tries to help God along. I call this the divine delay. And every person in this room has divine delays. There's something in your life that you can't fix. There's something in your life that you just can't seem to get over. There's some block. There's something you want to fix it, but it's not working. And you got this in your heart from God. You sense that he's going to give you victory, but it hasn't come yet. And so we want to help God out. We want to help God in the process. Sometimes young girls find themselves, they want to get married really bad. And so because they want to get married, they know what they have. The gift that they have to give to a man is their sexuality. Sometimes young women will find themselves, they'll, they'll be in a place where, where because they think that's what they really have to give, they'll, they'll be having a relationship with a man that they shouldn't be, have with, be, be having before they're married. And, and, and then they don't get married. And then they have a child. And things happen. Life goes on. And that's painful. It's very painful. It's very painful. Sarah was frustrated. She was frustrated with God. Where was God at? And I wrote this week, second only to suffering. Waiting may be the greatest teacher in training in godliness, maturity, and genuine spirituality most of us will ever encounter. Waiting on God. You see, it was legal for Sarah to do this. It was legal for Sarah to do this, but Sarah doubted the promises of God. Hear me today. Just because something's legal doesn't make it right. Just because it's legal to get drunk doesn't make it right. Come on. Just because it's legal, just because it's legal to have an adulterous relationship or to commit fornication, it doesn't make it right. Just because it's legal for a person to view pornography, it doesn't make it right. Just because it's legal for a woman to do with her body what she wants to do before a certain period you know, of the child's gestation, just because it's legal, it doesn't make it right. And just because this was legal, it wasn't right. You know, three wrongs never make a right. Three wrongs never make a right. Sarah got ahead of God, gave this woman. And then this young girl, I mean, one of the things that, you know, we have to read into this part of the story is that in this time period, in this time period, the law, and there was a law, there was a written written code that was actually kind of governing this period of the world, the Mesopotamia. There was a law that said if a woman wasn't able to get parent, a, a, a pregnant and she gave her handmaiden to her husband and that woman got pregnant that woman was not equal with her there was a law that stated that and hagar knew that hagar knew that law was true and so in her heart she's now starting to despise sarah she wants to be her equal but that's not how abram sees it abram that's not that's not i'm you're not my wife i just had sex with you that's all i didn't i didn't marry you three wrongs don't make a right Sarah committed wrong. Abraham committed wrong. I mean, Sarah wants to blame her husband. The woman I gave to you had to have sex with, she gets pregnant. She's blaming Abraham. And Abraham says, hey, I don't know what you're talking about. Do whatever you got to do. I mean, doesn't take want to take responsibility. 
And don't we do that sometimes in our life? We don't want to take responsibility. We kind of just bury our head in the sand, pretend like the problem's going away. And let me tell you today, the problems never go away in your life like that. You've got to deal with stuff. You've got to confront stuff. When you've got brokenness and problems, it doesn't just go away on its own. It just doesn't heal on its own. You get cancer in your body and you think you're kind of willed away. No, no, no. You've got to deal with it in your life. You got to deal with the problems. You got a financial problem. You just got to stop and rearrange. You got to deal with whatever the issue is taking place. You got a relationship problem in your home, in your marriage. It isn't just going to go away. It isn't just going to fix itself on its own. You got to deal with some stuff. I mean, that's just denial. And that's what Abraham did. Pretty typical man. But Hagar also did something. She ran away. She ran away. She ran from her problems. You can't run from your problems today. You, you just can't. No matter how hard you try, no matter how far you go, your problems will follow you. Because everywhere you go, there you are. Everywhere you go, a change of environment, a change of relationships, a change of spouses won't fix your problems. It just won't. It won't do it. She, so all three of these people, they got some culpability in the problems that are taking place in this story. All three of these people haven't responded correctly to God. And they've, now they've made a mess. As a matter of fact, the mess is so big that it continues on to this generation because Ishmael became the father of the Arab people who are mostly Muslim in the world today. And Sarai eventually did have a child, the promised child by the name of Isaac. And he's the father of the Jewish people. And these people have been at war, at conflict that has spread over into the whole world now for over 4,000 years. I'm like, thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> thanks. But isn't that what happens in our lives? I mean, haven't you experienced the pain of, of a choice that someone else made? It wasn't your fault. I mean, haven't you experienced that? And as parents, isn't that our greatest fear? Isn't our greatest fear? You know, Robert Falcom says, everything I learned, I learned by the time I was five years old. He said, yeah, that's true. But the greatest thing you ought to fear is that your child learned everything that they learned by the time they're five years old by watching you. That's scary. The children, our children see us. They watch us. They see how we respond. Three wrongs never make a right. Removing yourself from your circumstance isn't going to fix your problem today. You've got to deal with it. And here's where the mercy of God comes in. Here's where the grace of God comes in. In verse number 7, the Bible says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. Near a spring in the desert. The angel of the Lord comes to her. This is how God works in all of our life. When God gets us to the place where we can't do it, we're desperate, we're broken, it's the darkest hour. She was in a dark hour. Abandonment, alone, forsaken, pregnant, no resources, no money, no way to take care of this child, no way to take care of herself. That's when God shows up in her life. That's when God shows up in your life. God shows up in our lives when we say, God, I can't. I can't fix this. I can't fix my marriage. I can't fix my kids. I, I can't fix myself, my issue, my addiction. God, I can't fix it. So, God, here I am. I just come to you, and I'm confessing, and I'm alone, and I need you. This woman has an encounter. An angel of the Lord comes to her. Most theologians believe that this is a Christophany. 
Christophany was a manifestation of Christ in Old Testament times before Jesus came into the world as a babe in the manger to Mary and Joseph. Most scholars believe that this angel was actually Christ himself who stepped from heaven's glory to intervene, to come, to show himself to a woman who was all alone. He comes and he meets her at a spring. You know, doesn't it remind you of Jesus in John chapter 4? When Jesus sees, he actually says the Bible, says he passes, he actually went out of the way through Samaria so that he could meet a woman at a well who'd been married multiple times and she was living with someone who wasn't her husband and Jesus starts a conversation. And he says, if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. Jesus comes and begins to speak promises. He begins, but before he does, he's got to help her deal with the issue. He's got to, hey, listen, listen, listen. What are you doing? Well, this happened and this happened. And, and then he tells her something. He says, I want you to go home. I want you to go home. I want you to go home. I want you to go back to where you came from. Now, in my mind, I'm like, oh, come on. That's, that's, just not, that's not right. It doesn't seem to be right. How could she go back into that circumstance? See, God was with her. She got ahead of God. She was eventually going to leave that home. Now, you're a woman. You're a single woman. You're a married woman. And you're living with an abusive spouse. And they're physically violent to you. I don't think God's telling you to go back into that situation. But for most people in this room, God's telling you to go back and deal with the stuff. This woman, she has to go back. She's got to go back and deal with the issues of her life. And that's where we find her. We find her in a place of vulnerability. We find her in a place where she needs God. And as God begins to speak to her and God begins to make promises to her, she says something in verse 13 that no person in the Bible ever said before. She says something that no one else in Scripture ever says. She gives God a name. Abraham didn't give God a name. Moses didn't give God a name. Uh, uh, the, the, the prophets didn't give God's name. David didn't give God a name. God always came to them and revealed himself through his character and his personhood of who he was. God told them who he was. God told Abraham, I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm the God who will provide and meet your every need. God comes to Moses and says, I'm Jehovah Rapha, the God who will heal all of your diseases, body, soul, and spirit. God comes to the prophets and declares that I am Jehovah Mekadesh. I am the God who gives you victory. God comes and he says, I am your sanctifier. I'm the one who heals you. I'm the one who cleanses you. I'm the one who, I'm the one who covers you. Jesus stands I am. I am. I am. God always reveals himself. But this woman, something else is different about her. This way to me, she stands out as one of the greatest women of faith in all the Bible. She sees God for who he really is. She says, hey, you're El Roy. You're the God who sees and the God who cares. He's the God who sees and the God who cares. And because she had that revelation, her eyes are open. Her heart became open to God. And she went back and she obeyed the Lord. And God fulfilled His promise not only to her, but to Abraham and Sarah. And she becomes a living testimony to every person in this room that God cares. Mom, God cares today. God sees your struggle. He sees it. And he cares about you. And he simply wants you to trust him. 
Now, I don't care how you got to where you're at today. Some of us have made better decisions than others. The fact is we all come to Christ, the foot of the cross, in the same way. Sinners in need of a Savior, saved by the grace of God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Every person in this room, every person in this room, I want you to bow your heads. You're here today. Your mom here today. And this is for you. This message is for you. To know that God sees. But not only does He see, He cares. He cares for you. He loves you. I could just come down and I could wrap my arms around you today and just tell you that. Speak that into your heart. I would today, but I can't. But God's here and He can. God's here right now. The Spirit of God's uh, Son, Jesus Christ, is in this room right now. His presence is here. His power is here. His grace is here. You're here today, Mom. You've come with some hurts. You've come with some challenges. You've come with some things in your life that have been difficult, unfair maybe. And you just need that touch today. You need to know deep in your spirit. You need to leave here changed. You want to give this all to God. You want to give this burden to the Lord. If you're here, when I count to three right now, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on, right now in this room. Come on, all across this room, women, raise your hand. Lots of pain, lots of hurt. I see the hand. Put your hand down this morning. I want everyone to stand together this morning. today we need to do something as a church family we need to do something that we haven't done before and we need to do this we need to let the moms that are in this room that are single for whatever reason we need to let them know that we care and we love them and I love you and you're a single mom in this room I want you this morning to come and join me in the front and I'm going to come I'm going to come down off the platform and I'm going to pray with each of you. My wife is going to come, but if you're a single mom in the room, come on. I want as they begin to come, I want want you to begin to give them a great big hand this morning. Come on. Come on, congregation. Come on, church. If you're a single mom in this room, come on right now. Come on, let's give them a big hand. Come on. Come on right now. Come on, let's let them know that we love them. Would you extend your hand this morning towards these moms? Come on, these moms have risked. They've taken a risk. They've taken a risk and they've come forward today. Right now, we're going to come into an agreement as a church family for the grace of God to fill their heart and to fill their life. Father, we ask right now by the power of your Spirit for every woman that stepped forward. God, I thank you today that you are with them, that you see and you care and you love. And God, I speak life over them today. I declare the blessing of the Lord and the favor of God. Father, we thank you for this church family today that says we care. We've opened our doors. We love you. We love your children. We believe in you. We believe in you today. God loves you. God believes in you. And we're here for you. Father, we declare right now in the name of Jesus that grace and that peace and that favor of the Lord. We thank you, God, that your hand is upon these women today. God, I pray that you will bless them. We thank you, Lord. Like Carrie God of old, we simply believe. We saw God, not what we saw, but we saw God who cared. 